0: Hello and welcome to Baker McKenzie's Resilience Recovery and Renewal podcast series, dedicated to helping your organization navigate the full continuum of the COVID-19 pandemic and beyond. Whether you're managing the immediate crisis, stabilizing operations, or evolving your business, this podcast will cover key insights to help strengthen your organization's capacity to respond, recover, and thrive. My name is Jennifer Northam and I've spent over 20 years as a producer and journalist covering international business issues for leading news organizations. It's been a challenging time for every company around the world to say the least. Over the past few months businesses have had to make quick decisive decisions at a time when things are changing literally minute by minute. Those decisions in some instances have changed the trajectory of their business and even their future viability. In this episode, we're going to look at what role corporate boards play during a time of crisis. I'll be asking our experts how directors can help during this time and get advice on how corporate boards can enable companies to come out of this crisis intact and possibly stronger than before. Joining me to offer their insights are Kumar Panoya, a principal in Baker McKenzie's Dispute Resolution Practice Group in Singapore. We also have Deb Dandeno, Deb's chair of Baker McKenzie's Global Restructuring and Insolvency Group. Her practice focuses on business reorganizations and debtor and creditor rights. And last, but certainly not least, we have B Raha. B is a corporate partner in Baker McKenzie's London office, and she's also head of the corporate governance group. And just a reminder, we're recording this podcast in our homes in light of the COVID-19 social distancing rules. Now, Deb, I'd love to start with you. I think it's safe to say that it's times like these when companies really appreciate the strength and the knowledge that their boards bring to the table. Just how important is it to have an active board to help companies get through this crisis? Well,
1: I would say this is the time when board members realize that this is not an honorary position. Uh, We need board members in this time to roll up their sleeves. Uh, Often you will find that you're having board meetings weekly, if not more frequently, as the company gets increasingly in distress. What you'll find is there are lots of stakeholders that have a lot of issues with the company in distress. So the board members need to understand that they're there to help management triage and address all of the concerns of all of the
0: stakeholders, often being called upon to make very difficult decisions. Kumar, many companies have diverse boards in order to have these robust conversations and a difference in opinion. But can that hamper the process during a crisis and can it literally just slow things down?
2: Thanks, Jen. I'm a big proponent of diversity. Um, Companies that have diverse boards will emerge out of this crisis with a better decision. It's much stronger uh, looking ahead to the future, and I think we'll be in a much better position. Uh, Much of the discussion around board diversity has been about racial and and gender diversity, uh, but diversity is beyond that. I, I would welcome uh, diversity in terms of thought, in terms of expertise, in terms of background. We were for many years advising a mining company and I think in recent times they've had to raise capital and why they have an accountant and a lawyer on the board. You know, I think what they really needed was some expertise in raising capital and that was something they struggled with. As regards speed and decision-making, yes, it, it sometimes slows things down when you've got a diverse board with differing opinions but the quality of the decision is that much better. And if you've got commercially minded people on the board, I think the decision making would be that much faster. So while diversity is
0: really important, what about communication? That seems to be another constant theme throughout all of the podcasts that we've done to date, communicating with your employees, with customers, with your supply chain throughout this entire pandemic and with shareholders. So what role does a board have in that communication
2: strategy? The board has a key role in that. I think at a time when there is so much uncertainty and such volatility in the financial markets, it's important to have a consistent, coherent, and clear message. And the board is pivotal in shaping that sort of message. You know, stakeholders in the company, from your customers to your lenders, to your employees, to your shareholders, will draw comfort from a message that is consistent, coherent. And the way to go about doing that is to have a long-term strategy, build a communications plan around it, and staying true to that as much as you can, notwithstanding short-term volatility or or short-term market movements that might affect the business.
0: Now, B, CEO succession planning, it's always been a crucial issue for boards. This pandemic has just highlighted just how important succession planning for the leadership team really is. What is a board member's role when it comes to succession planning? And do you have any advice on how to deal with
3: this? I mean, we're, we're facing two uh, types of issues uh, during the crisis for boards in terms of CEO succession. One is obviously the risk of losing your CEO to illness, but the other is also having the right person for the job because the job that person had a few months ago is not the same job he or she has today, so I think there, there there's two good reasons for, for looking at it. Uh, most companies will have in place some form of succession planning, um, so, so that should be looked at to see if it's still fit for purpose. In larger companies, uh, it will be the role of the chair to engage with the board to make sure that the current CEO uh, has the capacity needed to to lead the organisation at this point. Um, He may be able to, or she may be able to rely on the guidance of a nominations committee, which will have these discussions regularly. I think hopefully there's a process in place which can simply be followed. If not, one definitely has to be put in place just as part of your overall crisis management. The last point I would make is that the board will need to also engage with key uh, shareholders, investors, to understand what their views are around CEO succession. So a lot to think about, even though the whole topic may sound like one that gets rolled out only every four years or so, or maybe shorter. Perfect.
0: Now, liquidity, Deb, that's obviously been a massive issue for most companies throughout this crisis. What are some tangible steps that boards can take when a company is facing some serious financial issues and even looking at potential insolvency?
1: Well, first of all, you realize very quickly that there's no magic money tree. Uh, So from the company's perspective, obviously we have expenses and we have liquidity sources. So I first start to think about, do you really understand your budget? Maybe the budget, especially from a board's perspective, was something that their eyes glazed over when they saw it before, but this is the time to make your management, walk you through it, take a hard look at the expenses. Also, the company should be tracking cash because cash is king when it comes to a crisis. We have something that we use in in restructuring often and and lenders come to expect it, called a 13-week cash flow. Put that together and then test it because what it does is you look at, you made assumptions, test your assumptions. Were your assumptions correct? Adjust. I like to look at accounts payable and accounts receivable. I literally ask for a detailed accounts payable to figure out where are the stress points in terms of relationships with vendors, also accounts receivable. Do you have receivables that you're not collecting? And there's been a lot of discussion about drawing down on debt facilities. So obviously that's one way of creating liquidity. There will be an expense associated with that as well. I think the most important thing when we're talking about liquidity, and this is the hardest thing, is how to balance not giving up future flexibility uh, for short-term fixes. I think that we need to understand that also most stakeholders are better off working with you working with the company, then picking over the scraps of the corpse of the company. And that's something that's very difficult to remember when you're facing
0: a crisis. What about um, a director's legal and fiduciary obligation? And when does that shift? Do you see that shift from that of the company to that of the company's creditors?
1: So in the U.S., and I'm focused on Delaware because I think two thirds of companies are organized in Delaware in the U.S., we there used to be a concept of zone of insolvency, and people spend a lot of time thinking about when are you in the zone. And then it, it became clear that the, the fiduciary duty never shifts. Directors always have to act in the best interest of the company. So even if they're put on by shareholders, they have to wear their company hat when they're making decisions. The And maybe this is just a semantic difference. but sometimes the beneficiaries of that fiduciary shift. So when a company is insolvent, the beneficiaries of those decisions may be the creditors who really now have the residual interest in, in the board. But if I think if you always start from the premises, is this the, what's best for the company? It really helps you make better decisions. Now, I just wanna make sure that it's understood. That's not universal. In many countries, the duties do shift expressly. They have concepts of trading while insolvent, uh, and also in some countries, personal liability for board members is an issue. In a lot of respects in the US, we have a relatively protective system and process protects. So if you go through the steps and you, you make rational decisions, you seek advice from your advisors, and you properly exercise your business judgment, that will protect the decisions of board members who are exercise, continuing to use their fiduciary duties and exercise their duty
0: of loyalty. Now, be as Deb said, I mean, it does shift these duties and obligations country to country. What are you seeing in the UK and maybe throughout Europe?
3: Well, in the UK, there, there is a, a sort of twilight period when there can be a shift of fiduciary duties um, away into, uh, into the creditors. Uh, So that's certainly something we're we're seeing a a lot of questions around now. There's some fine financial details that need need to be satisfied for that. But it isn't a sudden line you cross. So it's something boards definitely need to be mindful of. And Kumar, any comments on what's going on in
0: Asia?
2: The position, well, in Asia is much closer to that in the UK. I think when, when a company is insolvent or near insolvent, the directors have to bear in mind the interests of the creditors and not just the shareholders.
0: Kumar, let's look at potential takeover threats. I mean, you know, in times like these, when should board members be concerned about potential takeover threats or maybe the risk of activist investors?
2: If you're a member of the board, you you need to take a uh, look at the business and and try and find out if the business that the the company is in is under distress or is about to be in distress, but at the same time, there are long-term prospects. If those conditions are in place, then... You know, there's likely to be a potential takeover threat, or likely to be likely to be activism, and you've got various various angles to look at this. And I'll just offer up a few. I think the first is you look at it from an industry perspective. There are certain industries that are under distress at this point. I think if you look at aviation, hospitality, tourism, right, those are industries that are distressed. And then there is the geographic lens, which is um, particularly in the consumer goods and retail industry because of restrictions on movement and uh, orders and, and measures imposed by government, malls have to be shut, uh, retail outlets are under distress and, and it, but it's not long term. this time next year they would be doing better, but the question is whether the cash flow is sufficient to see them through. And then there are company specific concerns. I think if a business had overextended itself and is unable to service debt obligations with re- reduced revenue, again, it's right for a takeover. Um, And obviously, I think one of the best ways to try and deal with all of this is to have a healthy balance sheet. And that means raising funds, that means curtailing costs and and bringing in experts when needed to help you restructure the business to the extent uh, needed so that the business would look good.
0: And that brings on my next question. I mean, what about bringing in external advice? Um, when's the right time to do that? Does the board wait until they, they kind of see these red lights going off? When's the right time to bring in that advice?
2: The short answer to that is to bring them in as early as possible. Uh, the usual hesitation is costs. Do we want to incur these costs? And, and uh, of, often concerns about the returns that you might see. Um, And it really comes down to the advisors that you bring in. If you bring in, again, commercially minded advisors, they would more than justify the investment. Uh, They would bring in uh, expertise in a particular field. They would bring in years of experience having dealt with similar situations throughout their career. And they would offer up an independent perspective. Right. They would give you a, a, a perspective that's not been influenced by management and, and the board is then able to explore options. Um, and I've seen, personally, banks struggle with dealing with lenders and bringing in an, an independent financial advisor, for instance, immediately you know, gives a lot of comfort to the banks because they know that there is someone independent. They know that there's someone who's got the expertise and experience to deal with them. And I think the discussions take on a different complexion and ultimately results in a much better relationship with the banks.
0: And Deb and B, what's your experience working with clients and bringing in external advice? Um, has that been helpful? Has it been worth the, the money spent? Yeah, I, I first of all, they always bring in external advisors
1: too late. That is what we experience all the time. Another way to look at it, and I, I completely agree with Kumar's points, is think about it as, D and O insurance, because the process of making the decisions is what protects the directors and what protects the officers. And when you have advisors who are experts and who have been there before, then you are going to enable the company to be proactive and not reactive. Without the benefit of the experts who understand that. Have seen this movie before. You're going to be in a situation where it's the whack-a-mole of problems, and you don't want to be playing the whack-a-mole game. You want to be have, developing a strategic plan for how you're going to succeed, and
0: that's the benefit of bringing in the advisors. So, B, let's turn now to trust. How important is trust as we navigate through this crisis? And I know you've been writing about trust and stakeholder capitalism recently. Can you give us an insight?
3: Sure. Um, Call me the trust lady, someone said once. Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, but call me old fashioned But I truly believe that trust is is an essential element of human interactions. And that includes everyone at companies plus society. I truly believe we're now firmly in the era of stakeholder capitalism now, where we're moving from actions uh, and the pandemic has simply accelerated that. Um, What does this mean? To me, it's very simple. The board and each director will have their fiduciary duties to act in the best interests of the company for its long-term success and to create value. To do this, it's critical that the board ensures management adopts specific stakeholder governance measures that must be embedded in the company's strategic model. So who are the company's key stakeholders? Boards need to ask themselves that question and know the answer. How does the company engage with them? Uh, The the list of stakeholders that that you see in the business roundtable in the statement last year uh, listed them in in, in a carbon copy way to Section 172 of the Companies Act in the UK. Um, Essentially, it's your employees, it's your suppliers, it's your customers, it's the environment, it's the communities in which you operate, and others, it's whoever you need to engage with well to make your business a success. So what does stakeholder governance ultimately look to achieve? As a minimum... That the voice of the company's key stakeholders reaches the boardroom and at its best that this voice is actually taken into account when major decisions are made good governance in essence is all about good decision making so covid has put the spotlight on the need for companies to try their best to protect staff offer sick leave prioritize health and safety before covid the e was the big part of esg uh, now it's s and many people say there should be an extra Uh, layer to ESG, which is another E for employees, as well as other items, such as bosses needing to be financially prudent, uh, keep paying suppliers, if redundancies are necessary, these should be done sensitively, everything with an eye to the long term. And that leads on quite nicely into the
0: uh, chat about company culture, and how important company culture is and having that purpose really is to a company and to its shareholders and to its stakeholders. Um, It's quite difficult to retain that culture when there's a crisis, especially when you have now most employees working from home around the world. What can boards do to ensure that management maintains that core culture and that purpose throughout this pandemic?
3: You mentioned the word purpose, and that's really uh, at the heart of it. Companies need to fully understand what their purpose is from the get-go. And and, and by that, uh, what we mean is really being clear and what they're here to do, what customer need, what industry need, what is the role of the company and how is it going to achieve it. Culture is is a sort of overlay over that. Once you know the direction you need to be in and what you're trying to achieve as a company, you then need to articulate how do we do things here, what is our approach, how do we interact with employees, how do we treat each other, how do we treat customers, what is our role in the communities in which we operate, etc., etc., Boards uh, really need to lead from the top here. It does start in the boardroom. It's not something the board can just say, uh, management, go in and and figure this. The culture of the company is a critical sort of ingredient to the overall strategy. Boards then do need to hold management to account as regards engendering that culture across the company. In fact, they should live their culture and find ways to live their culture as they sort of wade their way through the impact of both the pandemic and the, the economic crossroads that we're all beginning to face now as a result of the pandemic.
0: Now, Kumar, throughout this pandemic, you know, boards and management have been making really quick decisions when it comes to really important things, as we've been talking about, you know, culture, how their remote workforce is going to be handled, their supply chain, liquidity, looking at their balance sheets. They're having to make really quick decisions that can have a real long term impact on a company's future. Do you think that the board members are factoring in the longer-term implications of some of these short-term decisions that are having to be made?
2: This is a very challenging time for the board. There's just so much uncertainty ahead. Um, I, and I can tell you, I mean, the clients that we are dealing with, the business continuity planning teams, they are fatigued. You know, every other week there are new measures, they are imposed by government, new restrictions imposed by, you know, neighbouring governments that restricts business. So a lot of businesses these days are just looking to survive. They're just looking six months ahead. Let us just get through this crisis. But I do think that, you know, you do need to factor in long-term plans. It's a bit like um, when you're out at sea to try and stop yourself from getting seasick. You look at the horizon, right? You do need to have a long-term plan to see yourself through this very, very difficult period. Obviously, you know, quick, decisions need to be made given all that's going on but there needs to be a long-term plan behind all that it's not easy uh, but it's something that needs to be done
0: now deb i'd love to transition and talk about board composition once we look beyond this crisis as we've been talking about should companies look to have new expertise on their boards or that can advise them on specific issues um, that may have arisen out of this crisis, or even thinking maybe a a wider geographical spread of board members.
1: Well, I want to go back to, to what Kumar said, because he talked about looking at filling specific expertise gaps on boards. And I've seen that. So for example, a huge, hugely popular solution was everybody wanted somebody on the board that had expertise in e-marketing that was all the rage i think part of the concern with focusing on specific areas of expertise is that now you have board members who are pigeonholed that's the e-marketing person that's this person i want to take a totally different approach my view is you need diversity of thought and that's already been mentioned But you also need people who are willing to ask tough questions and you need to get away from the country club environment, groupthink, and founder syndrome. You need to create an environment that's conducive to people asking tough questions and that welcomes people who are questioning just what's going on, are we doing the right thing, are we just stuck in the same mentality because that is part of the mindset that will make the company more nimble and more able to adapt as the times change. Because you may think that e-marketing, for, just not to pick on e-marketing, e-marketing is all the rage and this is what we need. But I, th- I think you need a board member who is really going to be more flexible and more adaptable in that. You need a
0: board overall who's going to be like that. That's a great perspective. B. once this crisis has been mitigated, Looking at this and looking at board composition and lessons learned, you know, how important is it for a postmortem to be held to just assess these lessons and move on and learn going forward?
3: It's obviously always important to look back and learn, but it's also important to act from those learnings and make the changes necessary so that pitfalls uh, that you can encounter can be avoided next time around. I think boards need to look at this on three levels. One is how did we operate as a board? How quickly did we respond to uh, the crisis uh, help set a direction? and then how well did we oversee um, management uh, uh, push forward? Uh, and did we course correct when necessary, etc? So one is how, how did we as a board operate? How was our dynamics and you know that may end up looking at uh, diversity of thought uh, and some of the topics we my colleagues have just discussed. I think that the second was, did we make the right decisions at the right time? And the third is, and these sort of go together in some ways, um, let's ask management to come back to us and tell us how they felt we did, but how they felt they did and what lessons, what decisions could, if we could wind back, would we have taken differently or taken different decisions altogether? Um, Because sometimes the decisions that have been made are good decisions and there's no question around the decision but how that decision was implemented, uh, and the typical example we said has been quite sort of striking during the pandemic is um, how employees have been let go, for example, or how soon have they been let go? What sort of levels of, of support, etc., have been part of that discussion, or have they just received a phone call and say, said, "Told you're out"? I think those, how you've done it, will be as important as. Why are you doing it? And to some extent, that will go back to culture. The same goes for how you've treated your customers and your supply chains. Have you been a, a a good payer, a reasonable payer? Have you kept them abreast of what your position is? Just so that everyone's trying to sort of act very reactively in a crisis. So the more heads up everyone has of what's coming next, uh, the better they can run their businesses. So There's a lot that you could look back on and say, how how have I done? The companies that have done it well will hopefully recover fast. And my hope is that bosses do remember the lessons of the crisis and take them on board.
0: And finally, we always want people to walk away from the podcast with some real tangible advice. And and we've got a lot of that throughout this this discussion. But if you were sitting on a board right now, what are the three questions that you would want to ask your management team? Uh, Deb, if we can start with you. I would ask, what is our competition doing better?
1: Number 1, number 2, what is one thing about the company you would change? And and the reason why I phrase it that way is because how are we doing? Somebody's always going to say great, let's pat ourselves on the back. But if you actually ask somebody what would you change, then you really are forcing them to reflect and come up with something that might be constructive. And then the third is what are the
0: biggest threats that we're facing as a company? Great. Kumar, what are your three questions?
2: Maybe before I put forward three questions, let me try and give some context. Over the last few months, there have been several matters that have come to my desk and I've seen parties walk away from contracts, terminate relationships, you know, and basically refusing to perform their contract. And while some of these are necessary to ensure survival of the company, others are just being reactive. Now, I see this crisis as an opportunity to build relationships with your stakeholders. And for that, you, you do need to have a long-term strategy. You do need to see past what's happening right now. So the three questions at my end would be, look, what is our long-term strategy? Where do we want to be 18 months, 24 months from now? Right. Second question would be, what are we doing today? Or what can we do today to try and help realize that long-term strategy or get us closer to that strategy? And the third is something that B has just covered in terms of lesson learned. What can we learn from this crisis that will help us take, take us towards that long term strategy?
0: And B, we'll leave you with the last
3: three questions. Last three questions. A challenge, my <laughs> colleagues have done very well. If I were sitting on a board, um, uh, these are the three questions uh, I would ask. Uh, first, do we have the right executive team in place for the current situation? And that obviously we should have asked earlier on. And have we set them a clear direction? Are we comfortable that decisions taken to deal with the crisis are consistent with our long-term ambitions? Second, are we getting the information we need from management to undertake our oversight role and also enabling us to hear the voice of our stakeholders, but also report to our shareholders? Third, do senior management actually feel supported by the board in in our oversight role? This is, I think, also very key. Do we know how they're doing from a mental health motivational point of view? How are they handling this? Because they're at the the front of the the fire uh, and, and our role sometimes is just to mentor support and guide and it's important that we don't lose sight of that and that may involve us in spending more time uh, in each of our boards which uh, if we have too many of them we should rethink that Uh, but those are the the three questions i would be asking
0: thank you everybody this has been really really interesting conversation and i really honestly appreciate your time today so thank you for those listening we'd love to hear from you feel free to send any comments or questions to 3R podcast at bakermckenzie.com. That's the number 3, the letter R, podcast at bakermckenzie.com. Or contact us through the Baker McKenzie social media accounts. Use the hashtag resilience, recovery, renewal. More information on this topic is also available on our website at bakermckenzie.com.